the Bible teaches that God's word is for God's people like water is to a tree or to a plant. And that's one reason why we give so much attention to it as a church, why we read it during our services and why really the centerpiece of our gatherings each week is the sermon. It's not because I'm such a great communicator. It's because God's word is so valuable, it is so healthy to listen and receive and respond to God's word. We need it. The same way your body needs food, you need this word from God. And so we're going to attend to it right now. I want to invite you, just like our prayer time, I want to invite you to fully participate in the sermon. And what that means is we're in this together. I have a sermon prepared on Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. I am going to proclaim the truths of this text. These are not my ideas. This is the ideas from God's word. You can participate by opening your Bibles, by following along, by asking for God to speak to you through his word, by maybe taking notes. There's a little tear-off tab in your bulletin if you'd like to write down a couple things you want to remember, and you can tear it off. If I hear the sound, well, I hope you do it better than I did. Uh, It's not a disruption in the service. That's a good sound. It means you are uh, participating in that way. Uh, If you would like to say amen at any point, that's a way that Christians say, yes, I believe what I just heard from the Bible, and I think it's good. I agree, and I like it. Uh, feel free to do that. And before we read our passage, I'm going to ask you to stand, and that's, this is just as a way of expressing honor and regard for God's Word. We're going to read Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. This is a, a great—yes, do please stand— This is a a, a great and straightforward passage. The big idea is simply that Jesus came not to call righteous people, but sinners. So let's read Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray before you're seated and ask for God's help to receive this text. Father, we've read your word. I'm going to do my best to serve your people by expounding on it. Would you please soften our hearts and help us to receive it? Give us a mental energy to listen well. Give us a responsiveness to respond well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated now. Thank you for standing up. Get that blood flowing a little bit. I want to begin just by simply explaining a couple of features of this passage. And so we'll go back to verse 9. As a kid, I grew up in church, and this was a story that I was somewhat familiar with and I heard from time to time. And I always thought it seemed awfully abrupt. Here's Matthew working at his tax booth, whatever that may have looked like. In the middle of his workday, 
as far as I could tell as a kid reading this, a complete stranger walks up and says, you follow me. And he says, okay. And gets up and leaves his work and follows this guy. It would be like, like William on a ladder in the middle of a work day painting. Some stranger around the corner says, hey, come down, let's go. And William's like, all right, let's go. Slides down the ladder like in the cartoons and, and walks on. This it, it isn't as abrupt as it seems. Verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he had just finished another miraculous healing. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. Jesus' fame by this point had already been spreading, so it's likely that Matthew already was aware of who this man was, and he probably already had a following as he came by Matthew's tax booth. It's also helpful to know that this was not an uncommon practice for a Jewish teacher to gather followers who would go with them so that they could learn from them. Disciples back then would follow their teacher and they would walk with them everywhere they went. They would listen to what they said, watch how they lived. That's what Jesus was inviting Matthew into. And as a Jewish person, he would have been somewhat familiar with that practice. And so he decided, yes, I will go. I will follow Jesus. Now, this was central to Jesus's work, was gathering followers. He didn't just want a huge mass, a giant following of people. He didn't just want people to follow him on Instagram and see his posts and updates. He wanted a handful of men who would go with him everywhere he went, and he wanted to prepare them to not just be disciples, but to become apostles. So Matthew would become one of the 12 disciples. You may know them as the 12 disciples. You may also know them as the 12 apostles. It's the same group. Disciples... They were when they were learning from Jesus, and then they became apostles, which means messengers, when they went and proclaimed everything that they learned from Jesus, much of which is recorded in our Bible. What we're meant to note here is that Matthew was a tax collector. That's really what's meant to stand out. Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting where? At a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. And then the notion of tax collectors following Jesus becomes an important theme in the rest of the passage. So we need to think about Matthew for a minute. We need to remember that Matthew was a tax collector. So get into your mind what what you might think that would mean in terms of Matthew's relationships with people in his community. He was about as popular as anyone from the IRS would be. Plus, In this situation, he was also a complete traitor against his people because he wasn't collecting taxes just for the Jewish people to fix their potholes in the roads and stuff. He was collecting taxes for the Roman government. So this would be something like if... So this is a more highly charged issue than really needs to be for this illustration, but I think it's helpful to think in these terms. But let's say Russia successfully conquers Ukraine and occupies Ukraine. Let's just pretend that that happens. And then Russia uh, recruits some Ukrainian tax people to collect taxes from their fellow Ukrainians to go back to Russia. And these Ukrainians who begin collecting taxes for Russia become really rich from doing it. Can you imagine how their, their fellow countrymen would think of them? That's kind of what Matthew had done. 
He was collecting taxes from his Jewish brethren in order to give them to Rome, and he was probably pretty wealthy from doing it. So the tax collectors were hated. Tax collectors were about the worst in society, according to Jewish popular opinion. Jesus even used them as an example. When he was teaching his followers to love their enemies, he said, what good does it do to love people who love you back? He said, that's easy. Even the tax collectors do that. It's like Jesus even uses them as an example of, even they know how to do that, so you ought to be that much better. So Matthew is not a popular guy. Matthew was a pariah. Matthew would have been hated. And yet here Jesus is. This is very unexpected for Jesus to call someone like Matthew to be his disciple and to follow him, eventually to become an apostle and to write this very book of the Bible that we're reading right now. Let's read on because there's more to it. Verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Many of these types of people were gathering toward Jesus. Many tax collectors. It was like an an IRS convention in this household where Jesus was reclining. They were drawn to him. By the way, I also always wondered how Matthew could just leave his tax booth, but he's not the only tax collector operating in this area, apparently. So maybe there was like a whole staff of tax collectors. Just, that's just a little side note that I hadn't really thought about for what it's worth. Jesus is here with tax collectors, and not just tax collectors, tax collectors and sinners. People who that was their identifier in the community. Well, those are, those are some of the sinners in the community. We don't really talk like that in our culture, but this would have been not just like an insult, though it would have surely been that, but even it was almost a technical term. These are people who have failed to keep the law. These are people who have repeatedly and now have developed a lifestyle and reputation for not living up to God's perfect standards and law. And here Jesus is hanging out with all of them, reclining at the table, which back then in that culture was a pretty big deal. That meant that you were fully willing to publicly identify with this group of people. The religious elite would not eat with tax collectors and sinners, and yet here Jesus is reclining with them, hanging out with them. This would have been absolutely scandalous. If any of the leading rabbis and Jewish leaders had done this, they probably would have been canceled. They would have been thrown out. And here Jesus is doing this openly and publicly. Let's read on into verse 11 and see what some of the response to this is. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And what is he doing there with that group of people? It didn't compute with them. This is what I wonder, every once in a while, around the holidays, Meredith will send me to the ABC store to get some kind of little cooking alcohol thing. I think it's happened maybe once, maybe twice. And so I'll have to go to the Mint Hill ABC store and wonder, who all seen in my car in this parking lot? <laughs> and who all has seen me enter into this building? And who all seen me wait in line? And who all seen me walk out with a paper bag? And what are they wondering about the pastor of Doolin's Grove Church? 
Well, Jesus didn't seem concerned. Here he is, and the Pharisees who, by their very name, the name Pharisee literally means separate, like separatists. They, these were the Jewish religious people that separated themselves from sinful people, tax collector type people. They were looked at as holy. They were looked at as the religious elite. And so they look on and see this Jesus is gathering a following among their fellow Jews, and they see him openly in this place with tax collectors and sinners. And they say to Jesus' disciples, why is he doing this? Why is he eating with them? We have a category for this because Christianity has so inundated our culture that we kind of like the idea of a minister being willing to go and fraternize with people who need to be ministered to, but they didn't have a category of thought like that here. This was scandalous and, and bizarre and to them wrong. And so they question it. Jesus responds once we get to verse 12, and this is really where I think it comes home for us. Let's look at what Jesus says in response. But when he heard it, he, Jesus, said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. It's so simple, but it's really a brilliant response. And there are just depths and depths and depths in what Jesus just said. Let's just read it again and just take it in. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So the Pharisees were acting as though a new doctor had come to town, and they're watching him from a distance. They're saying, I thought he was supposed to be a great doctor. I've heard great things about this guy, but if you watch him, He's always around sick people. I mean, if he were really a good doctor, wouldn't he be around healthy people all the time? If he really cared about health and fitness, wouldn't he be around the healthiest and fittest people all the time? And if he was such a good mechanic, why is he always hanging around with people whose cars are broken down? (laughs) It seems like he'd be hanging around people that knew how to deal with their cars. If he was a good handyman, why do you always see him with people whose stuff, whose houses are broken? Should he be hanging around with other people that are really handy and and awesome and stuff? They were, Jesus is just very simply and gently but brilliantly pointing out to them, you're just thinking about it wrong. You're not thinking about this right. I am for sinners what doctors are for sick people. Jesus is for sinners what doctors are for sick people. And so there he is. He's doing exactly what he should be doing. Him reclining at table with tax collectors and sinners, it wasn't him condoning their tax collecting and their sinning. He wasn't with them because he loved their tax collections and thought it was great. And he wasn't there because he loved how they sinned and thought it was great. He was with them because he loved them and knew that they needed healing, knew that they needed saving. That's why he was there. This is is why churches often are such a mess. How many of you, I'm not going to ask if you said this, but how many of you know someone who has said, I'm not going to church anymore, that's a bunch of hypocrites. I definitely I have people very close to me who have said that. I'm not going 
Churches are just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, of course. This is where the hypocrites go to receive forgiveness and healing from their hypocrisy. And the people who gather around Jesus are going to be a mess. Just like the people who congregate in the waiting room at the doctor's office are going to be sick. This is where the bitter people who won't forgive go to be forgiven for their bitterness and unforgiveness and transformed by Jesus into forgiving, humble, loving people. This is where gossips come to confess their sins of gossip, to receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ, to be transformed into people who use their words to bless others rather than to tear people down. This is where men come who struggle with lust to find forgiveness and the strength and the regeneration and the new hearts to turn from that and begin to love women like they are called to do. This is the place where gluttons come to repent. This is the place where greedy people come to be forgiven and transformed. We are all in the doctor's office right now. The Pharisees of all people should have understood this. That's Jesus' point as he goes on in verse 13, the first part. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. There he's quoting the passage in Hosea that Ron read earlier in the service, where once again God was correcting this chronic problem that his people have always had and that we continue to struggle with, of thinking that they could win God's approval through religious activities. And forgetting that what they really need from God is his mercy. Now, there's religious activities that follow receiving God's mercy. You know, much of what we're doing here today is religious activity. But let us never mistakenly think that we are winning God's approval by coming to church or doing religious stuff. That doesn't work. What we need is mercy. What we need is God's love through Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. It's a misunderstanding that plagues us as, as frail, faulty human beings, and we find it in us all over the place. We're riddled with it. It's common throughout our society. It's the same misunderstanding behind those who uh, live their lives with nothing to do with Jesus Christ whatsoever, but still think that they're Christians because they were baptized 40 years ago. They are, they're basing their Security with God on a religious action that they took years and years and years ago. It's the same misunderstanding behind that notion in us. We, we don't usually say it, but that notion in us that says, well, I'm righteous, I'm right with God because I'm a member of such and such church. Or I'm not a sinner, I'm right with God because I don't do those major sins that those people do. I know I'm, nobody's perfect but I'm pretty darn close because I don't do what those people do. It's the same misconception that uh, makes us feel like we're good with God because we come from a Christian family or because we serve on some committee at church, because we give, because we work at ACGC, because we're clean cut, because we're conservatives, or because we're liberals, or whatever it might be. Any any man-made attempt to make ourselves righteous can turn into what these Pharisees were dealing with. 
is so easy. It slips up, slips up on us so easily because it seems good until Jesus comes and bursts that bubble and reminds us that we're sinners in need of saving. We're not righteous people in need of a little self-improvement. I can remember when I was in seminary, I don't know why it didn't dawn on me before then, it seems like it should have, but when I was in seminary studying uh, some passage like this, I, I think it was actually Matthew 23 where Jesus really goes off on the Pharisees and realizing, oh no, I'm a Pharisee. Like, I am just like the Pharisees. I thought I was righteous because I was a seminary guy. I'm studying to go into ministry. Surely I'm more righteous than others. We have to continually be reminded our righteousness only comes through what Jesus has done for us on the cross, not any religious stuff that we do. Thank you. The Pharisees were so good at religious stuff. They were expert at religious stuff. They were so accomplished at religious stuff. You've heard the command to keep the Sabbath day holy. Well, they took that command and added 39 subcategories of work. So you're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath. You're supposed to rest and devote yourself and that time to the Lord. They developed 39 subcategories of specific work that they would not do. And even those subcategories had their own subcategories. And so they had it down to how many letters you could write before it became sinful work on the Sabbath day or how many steps you could take before it became sinful work on the Sabbath day. They were dedicated to layers and layers and layers of religious righteousness. But Jesus saw through all of that. Jesus came offering mercy. And for you, if you are bent over under a burden of trying to make yourself righteous, Jesus comes offering you not more things for you to do to make yourself right with God, but he comes offering you mercy. And then he accomplishes it for you on the cross. He offers mercy for sinners like the tax collectors and and sinners listed here. He offers mercy to Pharisees. Sinners who are willing to turn from their sin and receive Jesus' mercy are welcomed with open arms. Pharisees who are willing to turn from their self-righteousness to Jesus are welcomed with open arms. We, We wanted to invite people to church this Sunday not to invite them into religious rituals and religious activities, but to say, we have found mercy in Jesus Christ. We want to make sure as many people as we can know Jesus with us. So he finishes with the second part of verse 13, and it's our, really just sums it up beautifully. He says, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Because the truth is, there are none righteous other than Jesus Christ. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a Pharisee before he became a Christian, and he wrote that all of his righteous religious accomplishments to him were as nothing. He just wanted to know Jesus Christ. He just wanted to know God through the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. So here we all are in the waiting room. If you are a sinner... The doctor will see you now. Jesus calls sinners like us. You can go to him and receive mercy and forgiveness. If you feel that you are righteous because of your own achievements, you're wrong. 
We cannot achieve righteousness on our own. But you can go to Jesus and receive mercy and forgiveness. If you have received mercy and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, I just invite you to renew your faith in him. Renew your enjoyment of his mercy and grace. If you haven't, I invite you to receive it. Confess your sins to him. Go to him and just say, I I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm one of these. Will you please forgive me through Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for this passage on this morning. Thank you beyond just the passage. Thank you for Jesus Christ that it points us to. And I pray for each individual that you brought here this morning. You know where we each are in our relationship with you. And I pray that you would bring us all together into saving faith and reconciliation with you through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.